All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, Acts 19. As Paul is working his way through his third missionary trip, and all that means is he's hitting some new towns, but hitting some old ones at the same time, trying to see how everybody's doing, he comes across some believers here in chapter 19. There's a lot of controversy, not controversy, um, unclarity, if that's a word it is tonight, on this subject in these first few verses, because we can't really tell whether these first disciples that Paul runs into are believers in Christ that just don't know about the Holy Spirit, or understood John's gospel, John the Baptist, telling them about a Messiah that's coming and they don't know Jesus' name yet, um, or what? And it still hasn't been decided yet, and it's been 2,000 years. So my guess is we're not going to figure it out tonight. So we can let it go, which is important to understand. When God writes this stuff down, when he gets to parts, and you get to parts in your, part, in your quiet time or in your own personal study time, and you get to those places where you need to have more information, it's okay to jump. And just keep on moving through the scriptures. You don't have to get stuck or bogged down. I'm not saying that on every tough scripture you should just ignore it and move on because everything's going to be easy. Of course, you need to dig and work at it a little bit. But on some of these things, um, when God gives us a non-answer to these things, that's because that's not the focus of the chapter. He doesn't want us bogged down on that subject. He doesn't want us divided as a body of Christ on that matter. He wants to get to what the real chapter is about. So what is clear in the chapter? What is crystal clear in God's word? That's probably the focus. And that's what he wants us to focus on. I think chapter 19 has that. So in verse 1 he says, And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. That's our first break, is verse 7 there. Paul runs into these disciples, but there was something about these disciples that would cause him to ask this question. He doesn't do this normally. He didn't come in there. We never see this in any other place, except when he runs into these 12 guys. He said, Do you, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you got saved? And they said, we don't even know that there was one. Something, the way they carried themselves, the way they acted, something about them caused Paul to say, I don't know if these guys got the Holy Spirit or not. I better ask them what's going on here. And so he asked them to get some more information. Our, our dilemma here, or their dilemma, it's not my dilemma, it's the the back-and-forth dilemma as to whether these guys are saved or not, is the fact that Paul calls them disciples. And you don't normally say that. I mean, you could be a disciple of John. You could be, there, there are broader uses for the word disciple, but whenever it's used in the New Testament, it automatically, without doubt, means you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Always. It always has. So there's, this could be the one moment when it's not being used that way, but that's highly unlikely. But we don't know. The point was... Something about you, believer or not, tells me you don't have the Holy Spirit. So what's the focus? Focus isn't about whether they're believers first or whether they're believers after or John's or whatever. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They flat out didn't have the Holy Spirit. Um, another great controversy. It's becoming less of a controversy. Who has a King James Bible with them this evening? You won't, we won't kick you out. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> I need you to read verse 2. If you have a King James Bible, read verse 2 of chapter 19 to me. Great, thank you. Did you, did you see it? There's a one-word change. The word is since. Since. The 1611 King James Version of the Bible says this, Did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? That drove 
a lot of folks crazy because it sounds like that's a second work of God's grace in someone's life. Every translation after the 1611, including this New King James translation, which is what I use, you know, whether it's NLT, NIV, Revised, American Standard, whatever it is, changed it to when you believed instead of since you believed. And there's only one denomination that's really pushed that, and I won't have to mention who that is, hopefully. Um, They strongly feel that when you are a born-again believer, you have all of the Holy Spirit you're ever, ever going to get. There is no second work of the Holy Spirit. And every translation after 1611 King James has been changed to when instead of since. It's that big of a deal. And they divide over it. And they thought since they changed that word to when you believed, made it all better. It doesn't. Because Paul asked the question to these people who he assumed were believers in Jesus Christ. He didn't know for a fact whether they had received the Holy Spirit or not. So the question remains... And is this, it's, 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 it, they, they got the tree taken care of, but they missed the forest when they changed that word. Paul knew that there could be believers in Jesus Christ that had not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's why he asked the question. And that is the focus of this entire chapter. This is how revival begins here in Ephesus, is this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? He said, no. No, we don't even know there is such a thing as a Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, a lot of the church doesn't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. They'll talk about the Father, they'll talk about the Son, and then they'll talk about that other thing. And that's how they word it. Because it's scary. They don't know what it is or who he is. They don't know how to define it. Is it a force? Is it an essence? Is it some sort of mystical thing? Is it the same as the other two? What is it? And he is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is just like Jesus, who is the Spirit of Christ, who gives us the gifts, who gives us an overcoming life, who gives us the power of God in our lives. And can you imagine spending your whole life, because it's not a salvation issue, just being water baptized and believing on Jesus Christ for your salvation? You could go to heaven There's nothing more that has to be done for heaven. It's not a salvation issue. That's why I don't have a problem with it. I try not to bring a big deal. But boy, do they have a problem with me. We used to take the kids down to a youth retreat, a Calvary Chapel youth retreat. We don't go there anymore. We had one time when they asked me to teach at this youth retreat, and I said, you bet, I'd love to teach. And they gave me a subject, and I said, okay, I can do that. And I'm praying about what I should teach on, what I should do, how I should lead it, what should I say. You know, you got to pray these things to God. And, you know, and he gave it to me. This is great. It's going to be about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was so excited. Well, they had asked a couple to come be the MCs for the entire weekend. And they were not of a Calvary Chapel background, which is fine. I can play with others. I know how to play with others. I can do that. I thought, that's great, no big deal. And they got up, and they were doing a fantastic job until I got up to teach. And it was a night, and I talked about the Holy Spirit, and I asked the kids, did an altar call, come forward, receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray over you. Let's get baptized with the Holy Spirit tonight. Laid hands on them and, and all this. And they, those, that couple is just wide-eyed. And this is a Calvary Chapel event, you know. And the next teaching they did right after mine was, you kids need to know something. You have all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get the day you were saved. And I looked at the pastor who's running the thing, and he looked down. I'm like, dude, dude, we ain't at a Baptist convention here. That's not what we're here. Sorry, let it out of the bag. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe it is a second work of grace in the person's life. Why are these two leading this? And I think he got caught. He didn't even think about that. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're cessationalists. Cessationalists means the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. They were for them, but not for now. Some of them are for today, but not all of them. We don't do tongues anymore. We don't do that. We don't go to that youth retreat anymore since that time because it's that important. I don't want my kids growing up as saved but powerless. 
non-victorious over sin in their life. No power to minister. You know how many books are written about how to have a great, fantastic marriage? How many books are there? How to, how to raise kids. How to do all these things. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. I don't know how much more knowledge you could possibly add to that. The, um, the question of how do, I, how do I deal with my wife? I'm going to pick on the wives. I'll pick on the husbands next. I don't understand her. I don't know why she says the thing she says. I don't know how to get her to talk to me. I don't know how to communicate with my wife. You don't need to know how to communicate with your wife, men. You need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you, he knows exactly what she's thinking. Have you ever wanted to read your wife's mind? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I respond to this? I don't know what she needs. Pray. Holy Spirit, you know what my wife needs. She doesn't know how to verbalize it to me or doesn't want to because I'm not the most popular person in the house right now. God, help me to meet her needs. I don't know what they are. In fact, ladies, don't take offense, but sometimes she doesn't know what she needs. She just knows it's not right. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, God. Show me what I can do. What can I do? And only he knows, and you will do the right thing. And you'll say the right words, and you'll act the way you're supposed to, and he'll remind you of what you did, you know? And it goes the other way too, ladies. I know what I think my husband needs, but he doesn't want what I've offered him. So be filled with the Holy Spirit and ask God, what do you, does my husband need? And do what the Holy Spirit puts on your mind and puts on your heart to do. That's what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to live in the Spirit. It's from, it's from theoretical Christianity to reality. It's a walk with Jesus now, not just a study in Jesus' eschatology or whatever. It becomes a reality. You walk in the Spirit. You don't look at people's faces. You're not trying to figure out by their uh, nonverbal communication what's really going on. The Holy Spirit says and gives you a word of knowledge. He'll give you a word of wisdom. He'll show you exactly what you're supposed to do. Just trust me. Just do this, dude. And you do it. And she's like, I've been waiting for you to notice my hair. Thanks. You know, walking. I'm kidding. I don't mean to be that. It's not that simple. Ever. I understand that. And ladies, you're not that fickle and you're not that egotistic. I know that. I just picked something funny to say. It could be a lot more than that. Doesn't he notice this? Doesn't he know we haven't been out on a date night for six months? I need him. Doesn't he realize he's so busy that I never talk to him? He just doesn't even look me in the eye anymore, you know? The Holy Spirit will show you that. Did you receive the power of the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we've not even heard there was one. And to what then were you baptized? Into John's baptism. And, John, and Paul says, indeed, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying, the people, but you need to believe on Jesus. And they did. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit, that means afterwards, after they become believers, after they're water baptized, then the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. The whole church wasn't messed up, just these 12 guys didn't know. It's so important. What did Paul see in these guys that caused him to wonder? I wonder if these guys have been filled with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is Galatians 5.22. Those things should be evident in the believer's life. Not strived for, not, oh, i got to really work hard at that patience thing. Hurry up, patience. You know, not that. It's not dig in your heels and try harder. These are natural fruits of the Holy Spirit. They just come out of your life. Love, it's just a natural thing. Grace, mercy, long-suffering, patience, kindness, joy, all these things come out of the person's life. Maybe Paul saw that. Maybe they were carnal. What I mean by that is there's carnal Christians, and Paul calls them out on that in a few <coughs> different books. But they received Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they lived the way they wanted to or continued. That's why Paul, while he's in Ephesus here, writes to the Corinthian church so much about the power of the Holy Spirit and telling the Corinthians, such were some of you. It's time to shed that old behavior, those old habits. And let the Holy Spirit shine through you and become that new creation in Christ that you were intended to be. 
So after these guys were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and this is way after Acts 2, this is way after the initial pouring out of the Holy Spirit, still tongues are in use. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, that's what they used to call Christianity back then, the way, before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dealt or dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. He started off in the synagogue like he always did. And pretty soon, it's pretty clear who isn't going to come to know the Lord anymore. And they're very angry with you, and they're crossed arms, and they're staring at you. And they got the smiling Christians over here and the frowning non-Christians over here. And after a while, it's so uncomfortable, he moves off to... The pressure is so great that you can't even teach the word of God anymore. He moves over to the school of Tyrannus, which is a secular school. It's a Greek school. So he goes to teach there. And for two years, he trains up those disciples and teaches them the way of the Lord. And this is where we get that in the book of Ephesians. And he says, I've, um, God's given some to be apostles, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. This is him doing that. He would teach them about God's word, but not until they had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You really can't understand the word of God until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You can get glimpses and pieces of it, for sure. That's how you got saved. But to use the word of God, to have it used in your life and being used by you in other people's lives, it is the sword of the Spirit. So without the Holy Spirit, you don't use it properly. And so you must be, and so he does. And he teaches for two years and establishes a a well-grounded, trained-up church for the work of the ministry. Paul is no way going to be able to minister to all these people. He had to do what he could do, which was to teach the Word of God and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And they would spread and go out and tell people about the Lord, knowing the Scriptures. Paul said, I had not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He's guilty, guiltless, he says. Guilt, guiltless, because I have shared with you the whole counsel of God. You know it. I've taught it to you. What you've done with it is up to you. So, after that, here's what happens in verse 11. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. I like that. I'd circle God worked, and I'd circle hands of Paul. It is all God's work. It's all God's power. It's all his abilities. But he did use Paul's hands. That's how he works. He works through his church to this day. Things don't just happen out there spontaneously. Sometimes if we're not there or we're not willing, God will step in supernaturally and do something. But for the most part, he uses our hands. He can only use the hands that are guided by his spirit and filled with his Holy Spirit because that's God's power in your life and in my life. God's power working through my hands, and he will use my hands, is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, he is talking about unusual miracles here in verse 11. These aren't normal miracles. These are, <laughs> I'm, it's funny that they even have to categorize those. Well, those are typical miracles. You know, I just like to see some typical miracles now and then, right? Not just these, and then there's unusual miracles. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body, Paul's body, to the sick, And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. We have no idea how this started. Dr. Luke is just writing this stuff down, saying this is what happened. It doesn't tell us what happened. Maybe Paul sat down his his apron was what he would use when he would be a tent maker. So he'd tent make, and this is apron. I don't know what you have for tent making. You know, uh, an awl to punch holes in leather, maybe some needles and thread and all that stuff. And it'd be all sweaty and nasty, and he'd take it off and set it down, and someone would go... And run out of the tent with this thing and take it to people because Paul's too busy working or teaching. They're taking this sweaty old work belt and touching people and they're getting healed. So much for putting, you know, God in a little tiny box. Now, I I take that to heart that these are unusual miracles. That's why we don't have a bunch of sweaty belts hanging out there saying, well, this is in the book of the book. This is in the Bible. So on your way out the door, if you're sick, touch one of those nasty things. We don't do that. 
but he did do it. God used it, you know. All jokes aside, um, now he's called us to do James chapter 5, where we lay hands on the sick and anoint them with oil, and the prayer and faith will save the sick, and, and they'll be raised up, and that's what we do, because that was prescribed. I mean, he actually in the, said, you guys do this, so we do that. He doesn't ever tell us to take aprons and do this, but God did this. There was such a need, and there was amount of faith. Because remember whose faith it is when someone gets healed? It's the person who's sick. It's their faith. I offer up the prayer and faith knowing that God can do it, but they're the ones that have to ask. I want, I want prayer. I want you to come and lay hands on me. I, want, I, want to, I believe God will heal me. And I, and I want. These guys had such faith that they just needed a handkerchief or an apron, which is, which is even a step down from the centurion who told Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. You just say the word and I know my servant will be well. I mean, he didn't even need an apron for that. That's how much faith he had. And so, hey, he did this. And Paul writes it down. Then, some of the itinerant Jews, Jewish, excuse me, exorcists, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord, to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they knew that when Paul would lay hands or pray over someone to get demons out of people, boy, they took off. And these guys were like, hey, we could do that. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, which means what? He wasn't theirs. They weren't believers in Jesus. They were just trying to use it like abracadabra or hocus pocus or some kind of word. Some sort of incantation. If they just say the word, Jesus must. You know, genie in the bottle kind of moment. That doesn't work. And Paul or Luke gives us an example. We exercise you. And then also there were seven sons of Sceva, verse 14, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. It's dangerous to try to walk through this world without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's dangerous to walk in this world without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to try to imitate it. By the faith of my parents, by the faith of my wife, by the faith of my husband, it doesn't work. It's not going to work. It's got to be yours. I think it's interesting that these demons actually know who the threats are. Jesus, well, yeah. Paul, yeah. Who are you? And they get bold. And they beat these guys up. One guy beats up seven guys to the point where their clothes are removed. I don't know what that fight looked like. You ever see the cartoons where just a bowl of dust and a cat, you know, and a, a claw sticks out? I could just see these guys going, boom, 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 just flying out of here. And they're like just running, broken arms and bruised and beaten and naked as jaybirds running out that house. And everybody saw this. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. There's power in the name of Jesus. We sing that song. We just can't sing that song and not know it. Some say, how do I know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Um, Spurgeon said, you know, have you ever been shocked by electricity? You know you got shocked? It's the same with the Holy Spirit. You'll know if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit because you walk in it. You walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have doubts about that, if you're not sure, then you probably haven't been. And you need to pray that God would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I think I have seven of these different men. I printed them off because I don't know. I'm not a big reader, so I, I know. Even as I was printing it, I was like, oh boy. You know, some of you are like, that's, that's not even like three pages. I know. It's like, to me, it's almost three pages, you know. This is one's on Charles Finney. There's D Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody's out there, um, um, and several other guys. And all these guys were baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
in about the 1800s, right around there, and saw tremendous revival, amazing work of God done through them. And you can read about their stories. You can pick one, or you can grab one of each if you want to. I only printed off five of each person. There's a really short one out there. It's a page and a half for those of you who are non-readers. Great stories. Many, many, many biographies of their lives. Quickly. Where they started, got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and what God did with them. And how God used them. I just don't want anybody to walk this walk without being filled with the Spirit. I'm not saying it's a salvation issue. I'm not challenging your faith or your salvation. But if you want victory in your life, if you want a successful marriage, if you want to raise godly kids, if you want to have whatever there is to have spiritually, it's got to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're called to walk in that power because without it, we have no power. It's kind of a funny word to use. A lot of people don't like to use that in in 2017. I've got the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's a red flag. Are you a cult? What kind of weird thing is this? Do you think you're better than everybody else? No, none of these people ever thought those things. They all knew they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's about the most humble thing you could admit to yourself is that I have zero power to affect anybody's life. I have zero abilities, gifts, talents outside of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And for me to think that I can walk this walk with Jesus and have just... uh, discipline myself, you know, sin out of my life, um, you're sorely mistaken and it's arrogant. You needed Jesus to get saved, to get to heaven. We need Jesus. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to cleanse us and clean us and to get rid of all that junk in our lives and to replace it with his godly attributes. We need the Holy Spirit. Um, so important. So these guys were trying to exercise or get rid of these demons, and it didn't work for them. Um, And there's a great fear that fell upon everybody, which is a good thing. It was a healthy fear. These demons are real, and it's very powerful. I think that's the first thing everybody needs to know in this world. The first thing you need to know is that my sin is very real and has separated me from God. That's got to be the first and most important thing anybody ever learns because then they know they need a Savior because they can't reach heaven on their own. The second thing is to know that I have an adversary, and his name is the devil, Satan, and he is trying to kill and destroy me and my family and everybody around me. And I have to know the second thing after that is I have zero ability on my own to do anything against him or about him. He is infinitely more powerful than we are as human beings. He is infinitely above us. Not infinite, that's probably too strong a word, but he's way, way above us. But when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't even stand a chance because he's up against God then, not you, not me. A healthy fear falls upon all these folks as they see the power of this demon attack seven religious, devout men of God and sends them screaming out the door naked and wounded. Fear. But also, it magnified the Lord Jesus' name. They understood how necessary he was. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. First things first. God doesn't join our magic books or join our sin or tolerate it. The first thing these people did when they realized the power of Satan and the power of Jesus' name was they got rid of sin in their lives. They removed all those things. Book burnings are good sometimes. And nowadays you'd say book burning and they'd, well, they'd, I don't know what they'd call you. Well, I know what they'd call you, but they'd be wrong. There are some books worthy of being burned. I'm amazed at the draw 
and the attack on our kids as far as sorcery goes and witchcraft and the subtleness of it. I can't get them to read any other book, but they read that whole series. Only took them a summer. They read all five books, or however how many there were. Yeah, isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? What did they learn in those books? Well, it's just fiction. Okay. Okay. How come it's so easy to read that book and not the other book? Because it's tantalizing. Because it appeals to the flesh. Because it takes power away from God and it brings power into the person's life. It's their own that they can administer, that they can use as they see fit, but not as God sees fit. It takes away the authority of the Lord in their lives and gives them all the authority. That's why. But these folks decided, you know what? When they were excited for the Lord, when they decided to get rid of these things in their life, do you see what happens in verse 20? So, because of that, because they burned all that stuff, because they removed all that sin out of their lives, so the word of God The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The word of God doesn't grow. My Bible doesn't get any bigger than this. What does he mean by that? How does it prevail? Does it get on the top of the stack of books in my life? No, of course not. It grows because it's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. It becomes more effective. I can stunt my growth with Jesus by filling my life with sin and telling him to fill in the cracks wherever he can find room. Well, I'd love to come to church, but I got this thing. I'd love to have my quiet time, but I'm so busy. I got overtime this week. Uh, but God, you know what? Your grace is sufficient, we say, and fill in the gaps wherever you can. I'll, I'll get little bits and pieces whenever I have a chance to be with you. God says, remove that stuff so that the word of the Lord can grow mightily in us. And can prevail, which means there's a struggle, there's a war, there's a battle going on. You feed the flesh, the flesh gets stronger. You feed the spirit, the spirit gets stronger. They are warring against each other in my own life and in yours. How do I get the word of God to prevail? How do I get the Holy Spirit to win? I starve the flesh and I feed the spirit. Don't stunt your growth. We're our own worst enemy when it comes to this stuff. When these folks did this, this is the beginning of revival. They understood the power of darkness and how it had entangled their entire city in Ephesus. They understood that this Jesus absolutely has all authority and power over all that stuff. And they sacrificed and got rid of all that they had gotten entangled with and let the Lord work in their lives. And it was an amazing thing. The word of God grew mightily and prevailed. It was winning because people chose the Lord. Their whole life went from theoretical to practical at that moment. We don't just talk about Jesus. We're living it. We're living it. It's an amazing thing what God will do in our lives. That that power of the Holy Spirit, when he gives you a word of knowledge for the first time, It's an amazing thing. When he gives you a word of wisdom, the difference between the two. Read Corinthians. It tells you about all the different gifts of the Holy Spirit, things he does does in our lives that are extraordinary and out of our realm. But a word of knowledge is you have knowledge about something that you've never studied or never understood or don't even have all the facts on. You just have a word of knowledge. A word of wisdom is there's a problem or something and you don't know how to solve it and God gives you an answer and you give it and that's perfect. That's exactly what we needed. That's been there the whole time. That answer's been there the whole time. How could I not see that before? Because we never prayed. I never stopped and asked God, you know. can do all of your counseling here tonight with just two phrases. Get rid of sin in your life and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That'll take care of your marriage, take care of your kids, take care of your job, take care of your finances, take care of everything. Get rid of sin in your life and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's everything. That's it.
The only reason those two things don't work and the reason we need more counseling or week after week after week of counseling is because we refuse to do those two things in our lives. We've got to spend weeks talking ourselves into removing the fishing boat from my life because I spend too much time on it and my wife needs me at home. But we spend hours trying to convince the guy, you've got to sell the boat, dude. I think I'll bring her on the boat. She hates fishing. I can teach her to love it. Uh, They just can't let go of it, you know? Sometimes our sin has so entangled us, we think it's us. But that's who I am, or that's how God made me. No, 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 no. He hasn't. He's made you a fisher of men. And your wife desperately needs to get caught again, you know? Go ahead and go fishing, but... Let's use some different bait. How about a dinner reservation? You know? Or a quiet walk by the lake. Catch her. You know? So, the word of God grew mightily. Now watch what happens. Now here, Satan does not give up easily. He had this city. This whole city was his. Diana. The goddess Diana. That was their place. That was her place. She was a goddess of... Um, Physical relationship, I'll say, because of little ears in the room. And that's where they worshipped. She was actually a bank also, ironically. The merchants could come and deposit their money in the Diana's temple, and they would keep it for them under the protection of this deity in the basement, you know, kind of thing, convenient, you know. Um, I'm just going to make a deposit, honey. Okay. Um, so they would go worship there, and they had the whole town, had a whole industry made up around this thing. Well, Paul, not in the business of knocking out Diana's, just preaching Christ, well, it's got an effect. Here's the side effect. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I also must see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, You know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised, and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Paul didn't mean to touch them economically, but boy, he did. Don't bow down to something that's been made with hands. You know, know, hey, this is what I sell. What do you mean, don't bow down to this? Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristocharus, uh, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. This is the only guy that runs into a mob. We want to kill whoever this Paul is. Great is the goddess Diana. Paul says, let me go talk to him. You know, he's crazy. Paul's crazy. Paul's crazy or Paul has experienced the power of God in his life and knows that it doesn't matter if the whole place is filled with 100,000 people crying out to Satan, I am stronger than they are because I have God. Not me. Paul wouldn't say him. Paul would say, I have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I can walk right in here and say whatever I need to say. He understood that. Paul was bold. He wasn't out trying to destroy Diana or that, but that is the natural consequence. When people come to know Jesus, the things that were distracting them from Jesus get set aside. And the people that made money from those things get offended 
they get hurt. We've got lots of gods. Whole industries made up to distract us on Sundays. Hurry up, preacher. We've got to get to the game, you know, kind of thing. Hurry up. Oh, he's going too long. Well, we could skip it and just do it this one time, you know. They cheer louder and chant louder there than they've ever sung a hymn or ever sung a verse to God, unfortunately. They're more excited about a guy in an oblong-shaped pigskin. They get more excited about it anyway. There's lots of things that can distract us, lots of things that can cause us to become distracted from what's important and what's necessary and what's eternal. And this is one of them, this goddess Diana. We sell little trinkets. They had things around their necks. They had everything. This guy didn't want to lose his money. So he got the whole city worked up in the theater, and they're all crying out with one voice, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And they did this, it says, for two hours. Verse 34 says they did it for two hours. They cried that out. That's crazy. I've never done anything for two hours. I mean, except sleep, maybe. Two hours screaming at the top of your lung, greatest Diana of the Ephesians. So you know what? That, sometimes that's what it takes to convince ourselves, doesn't it? If I just say it long enough and loud enough and often enough, I'll even believe it myself. There's no, nothing great about her. Otherwise, she'd be great. She could stand up for herself and say it. If she's that great, Diana should stay up, stand up, you know, from your temple. But it takes... They're her followers to do this and to get everybody excited. And, you know, some of them don't even know why they're there. They're just all in there confused and they're all screaming and yelling because there's a commotion. We don't know why we're mad. We don't know why we're flipping over cop cars. We're just doing it. I don't know why we're upset or why we're stealing TVs. We're just doing it, you know. Great is Diana of Ephesus. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, What man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Now somebody has to know that's not true. We don't know where this goddess Diana came from. She just appeared from Zeus. I mean, Bob's got to be over there saying, no, I spent like five months carving that thing. Somebody knew. But this came from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Never said anything about Diana, only that Jesus is the truth. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly, for we are in danger of being called in question today, or for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. We don't want to get in trouble here, you know, the city clerk says. Something amazing took place there. A revival began, and God was working in the lives of people, being filled with the Holy Spirit, getting rid of sin in their lives, turning their lives over, and God's Word just grew and magnified, and it was amazing work that had taken place, and the gospel just keeps spreading and spreading and spreading. That's what these, a lot of these men have done and were witness to. I mean, it was the power of God in their lives, but some of these guys, and especially this Charles Finney, when he would preach, the, the bars closed down, not because he preached against alcoholism. The bars closed down because he preached Jesus and people got saved and got rid of that activity in their life and, it, and they no longer went. They, there was no one coming in the doors anymore, you know. No city that these guys touched, <clears throat> and they're from all over the world, whether that's Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Missions or Charles Finley, Finney and, and, and D.L. Moody and all these guys in Chicago and so on, all these towns, New York. None of them economically suffered when Christ came into their community. None of them died out. None of them lost jobs or positions. Or they all grew exponentially when Christ came in, when the revival took place. And it was an amazing thing. 
And if they understood that in chapter nine or chapter yeah chapter nineteen, then they wouldn't have been so upset about it. But that was their thing. We're known for that. We've all got a decision to make. We all have day-to-day decisions to make. We've received Christ as our Lord and Savior. Most of us, hopefully, are born-again believers in Jesus. You have to be born again to be saved. I don't know if you use that word enough. You, you must be born again to be saved. But then if you want power in your lives and you want to live a victorious Christian life and you want to have the power of God in your life, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you've believed? Have you? If you don't know, then you need to pray and ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit recently? I would even say to those who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, because He does it over and over and over again with the apostles and with every other believer in the book of Acts. They get filled and filled and filled and filled. God comes in flushing them out and filling them up and pouring out of them into other people's lives, equipping them for the work of the ministry so that it's not their hands or in their strength, but they're in God's hands and in God's strength. And the word of God is preached powerfully and it prevailed and it grows mightily when they share because they're filled with the Spirit. We all need that. Every one of us, can you imagine what would... If those 12 guys got filled with the Holy Spirit and this is what happened in Ephesus, imagine... You know, imagine. So, I'd encourage you to grab one of these if you are interested in more, learning about more of these guys. And they're online. It's all free. I got this off the internet. It's all free. You don't have to buy the little books for $5 or whatever they sell. It's all just published. And you can read all the, about these guys. And I only say to read about these guys so you know it's not an isolated incident. It's not that guy Finney or that guy Moody or whoever. Um, interestingly enough, the, the Moody Bible Institute, that's it's named after D.L. Moody, who was baptized with the Holy Spirit, they've taken all of the references of his baptism of the Holy Spirit out of his books now. Hmm. Why is that so offensive? Why is that attacked so much? Because it's the power of the church. How do we render the church completely powerless and ineffective in this world to where they do nothing but worry about their own lives and nobody else's, you know? Well, we just remove the Holy Spirit out of their lives. It's no longer for today. It's no longer valid. It's no longer necessary. There is, there is nothing more. These aren't the droids you're looking for, you know? Star Wars reference, sorry. Nerd reference. Get them distracted over here with this stuff. Get them so preoccupied with yoga and eating healthy and physical fitness and Christian weightlifting and, and you know, and no one's telling anybody about Jesus anymore. And that's just fine with Satan. That's just fine with him. I want to be that. I want to be these guys. I want a tiny little biography written about me someday that said, you know what, he was nothing, but he let the Holy Spirit work through him, and God did great things, you know. And you're no different than Charles Finney, Charlena Finney, for the, for the ladies, you know. Any one of us baptized with the Holy Spirit, removing sin for our li- from our lives, reading God's word, allowing it to grow mightily in our lives and prevailing against sin in our lives can be used mightily by God. And I just want to see that for everybody, you know. But it's a choice you have to make, it's a decision everybody has to make. And uh, hopefully we got that from tonight's teaching. It's exciting to see what God does with Paul, who's not afraid to go talk to a mob, with 12 guys who weren't afraid to sow. We don't even know what a Holy Spirit is, but we want it if it's of God. And they took it and they received him and they did amazing things. I'd like to see that in Maryville. I'd like to see that in Bedford. I'd like to see that everywhere, you know, everywhere. It's just a matter of praying. So let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We pray that it would grow mightily. We desire that for our lives. Lord, tonight we each want to make a commitment 
to remove sin from our lives, the things that you put in our hearts and in our minds, even right now, the things you want gone from our lives, God, we pray that as you put those on our hearts that we'd be bold enough to remove those things from our lives. Even if we're deeply entangled with them and we think it's our identity and who we are, Lord, help us to remove those things from our lives to allow you plenty of room to grow. For your Holy Spirit to rule and reign in our lives, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, tonight. Would you baptize with us with your Holy Spirit? For some of us, again, for others, the first time, would you baptize us with your Holy Spirit? We want your power. We want you to use our hands, our mouths, our ears, our eyes. We want you to use our lives, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you use our lives to affect other people and change them? Remove everything that's of us and replace it with everything that's of you, God. Those are safe prayers. We don't ever have to worry about getting something that's not good for us when we pray those prayers. We could trust that. We could trust you. So Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and that people might not wonder whether we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that know it. That question would never come up about our lives. They'd know without a doubt that that person's filled. Could see Christ in them. That's our heart. And then we want to bring you glory. Make us usable, effective vessels, tools in your hands, God, and then would you do great things in this world to bring your name glory, to lift your name up, Jesus. That they not only have a healthy fear of Satan, but an understanding of the power of you, Jesus Christ, and how you victoriously triumphed over all. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.